Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Another episode of Fundamentalists. You didn't think we'd do two since we always lie to you about how often we're going to post, but here we are proving you all wrong. Um, my name is Mehek. Welcome back and thanks for joining us. Uh, and it's your girl, Faiza. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, and we're really excited to do this quarantine series while we're stuck at home. Yeah, we thought, obviously, since um, that's like the biggest thing affecting all of our lives right now, we thought it'd be interesting to do a couple different episodes looking at quarantine from a few different perspectives, um, how it's affecting all of us, how it's obviously affecting the world and society. So last episode, Faiza had the lovely Manile. Uh, did she change her last name or is it still Manile does the gear? I should have probably asked you this. Oh, that's the gear. All right. So Dr. Manila does the gear, um, talking about her experience as a frontline worker and, you know, the sacrifices she's made with her kids being away and just her day to day and, um, you know, the challenges and the benefits of this insane time. So this episode, not this week, because we're definitely not recording this weekly, but this episode we have um, one of my best friends in life, Rhea Mean, joining us. Uh, I'll let her introduce, but um, she is a prolific family law attorney, a very, very, very good at what she does. Um, she's also a mother of two darling children, and I think one of the biggest challenges uh, slash first world problems for posed by Corona has been how to work from home when you have little kids. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to explore today. But Freya, tell Hello. us about yourself. Um, thank you for that introduction, Mahek. Um, so my name is Freya. I'm from Killer Queens. I was born and raised here. Um, I have a I have my own law firm, which is also located in Queens because why go anywhere else? It's the best borough. I do family law, divorce, immigration, primarily. I do a lot of custody visitation. I deal with a lot of uh, domestic violence and child abuse. Those are the bulk of the cases that I do and I work on. And I do have two little rugrats that um, take up most of my time aside from my business. And we are stuck at home, modified stuck at home, because I do have some child care. Awesome. Um, so we'll just kind of jump right into it. You want to explain to us what your childcare situation has been during um, the quarantine that's still going on? I know you've had um, some kind of ups and downs. You had it, then you didn't have it. Now you have it again. Right. So maybe just walk. So I'm really fortunate in that my um, childcare provider, uh, who is basically like family, her name is Saima, she doesn't live too far from me. She's only about a 15 to 20 minute drive, depending on traffic. So obviously when everything happened, we didn't want her taking public transportation to our house, uh, exposing herself, her family, and thereby our family as well. Um, so you know, we had a conversation with her and she was still comfortable working so long as we dropped the children to her home, which required a little bit of sacrifice on our end. Anyone with kids will tell you how difficult it is to get kids from point A to point B, just like the packing and the putting on the shoes and then they take off their shoes and then someone throws up and then someone poops and just getting out of the house has been really challenging. But um, I do drop them off in the morning and then me and my husband pick them up uh, usually around four, four, four to five, depending on how busy our work days are. Um, and they spend anywhere from six to seven hours at her house, which is when we uh, rush back home and cook and clean and work and take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. So that sort of had become our routine um, once everything had happened. We were dropping them off five days a week. And then unfortunately, um, Saima's husband had a stroke. So um, she was definitely not available. He was hospitalized, so she was definitely not available. Um, the first few days after this had happened, she was just sort of regaining her composure and figuring things out. And I had the kids at home, and then he was in the hospital for, I believe, eight or nine days. And once he was released, we didn't send the kids for almost two weeks because we obviously weren't sure what he had been exposed to in the hospital. So give or take, we didn't have childcare for a little over two weeks. Um, and that was two weeks too much that we didn't have childcare because it was really, really hard. So just to back up, um, I probably should have asked you this before. Um, 
something you and I have talked about is um, just how childcare and cleaning services and all these other um, people we kind of bring in to help us out with workloads at home, um, how that kind of plays out in times of quarantine. There's a lot of people in the camp that, oh my God, you shouldn't have anybody in your house or um, even if you don't bring them in, you should still be paying them. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum is, I don't care, I'm bringing anyone and everyone because I need the help because I'm drowning. Your girl in the latter camp because life mad hard with a toddler and a newborn. Um, but I think you are in a really unique position because while you are self-employed, you don't have a standard desk job, right? Not at all implying that desk jobs are any easier to work from home with when you have kids, um, or even when you don't have kids, to be honest. I think the challenges of work from home are really real, but that's a different story. Um, but you are in a unique position where, like I said, it's not a standard desk job. It's not like you can kind of just type away at your computer and then put the kids in front of the TV while you have a call. With the court system, um, it's kind of a different beast altogether. You want to talk about what the requirements were for the virtual litigating? Uh, right. So I think you're right. That's what makes things a little bit easier. I mean, generally, everyone's been pretty understanding that people are, are at home. They have maybe young kids or they have elderly parents or they have some situation at home, which, um, you know, divides their attention. Um, but because I do a lot of what's considered essential cases, which include child abuse and domestic violence and things like that, the courts uh, have been operating virtually. So if you are a victim of domestic violence, there is an email address um, that's provided to you that you can email the courts and say, I want to file a petition, and they put you in touch with domestic violence organizations. A petition is filed, and they need an attorney. You're appearing, you're making arguments. Maybe somebody asks for a hearing. You have to do virtual hearings. So it is not always feasible to just put you know the kids in front of the TV or even have them in another room because they're yelling and screaming and I live in an apartment so you can hear it and these uh, proceedings are being recorded because they need to preserve the record for appeal things are still gonna get appealed you know so I can't have my kids screaming mom in the background when I'm doing a hearing so that part has been uh, particularly challenging because you know I I'm not only working but I'm taking part in formal proceedings that, um, you know, that are, aren't just limited to the 10 minutes I spend on, you know, the call or whatever. Um, this is being preserved. It's going to be litigated. So I have to be very, very mindful of the environment that I'm in when I am working. Um, okay. So what do you think, given all of that, given the fact that you have these recorded hearing so you couldn't have your kids at home but obviously there's an ethical I guess aspect to um still engaging your nanny and then just the logistical challenge of having to shuffle your kids back and forth keeping all of those things in mind what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you with respect to this uh you were a little muffled sorry can you repeat the question I was just saying, given all of those factors that are in play, right, um, the the fact that all of your work or the majority of your work, your proceedings are recorded, so you have to have like this very sterile, quiet, um, formal legal environment, um, right. the ethical piece of should you still engage childcare, what are your options if you don't, right. um, and then just the logistical challenge of having to shuffle your kids day in and day out, not just the time aspect, but then also, you know, making sure your toddlers aren't licking everything on the way and, you know, <laughs> disinfecting them, disinfecting your they car. Do. They do. I just, <laughs> they do, they right? They do. I blow on them. Like, I literally don't even know what else to do. Um, but yeah, so I think the ethical portion is hard. I think originally before the courts had set up some kind of a formal process, you know, I felt a little guilty and selfish and I was like, am I doing this because I need to or because I want to, you know, because, you know, any mom will tell you being at home with two young children is very hard. And on top of that, I don't just have a job. I have my own business, which means I am my own accountant, my own office manager. I have to do everything uh, for myself and my business. Um, but 
the reality of the situation is that a lot of the work that I do is very sensitive in its nature. So if I have women calling me who have been victims of violence who have a very difficult time talking about what they've been through and they may be opening up and I'm constantly being you know, disrupted or distracted um, because my children need something, which inevitably they do, even though dad is home, you know, kids want their mom. Um, I do feel a sense of responsibility. I don't think that I could do my job adequately. Uh, Same thing goes for, I do a lot of child representation, and I represent children who may have been victims of sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all kinds of abuse. And to them, I'm a mere stranger. And right now, the courts are requiring us to do um, virtual conferences with these kids. And they're, they're probably like, who is this other person sitting on the other side of the screen? So I really have to work very, very hard to develop a relationship with these children, to give them my undivided attention, and then to be able to talk to them about very, very sensitive stuff and to try to extrapolate information from them. So uh, the work does require a lot of concentration and it requires me to have a lot of empathy to my clients. Um, And it's it's not possible. It's just not possible when my children are home. And my children are very young. If they were a little bit older, I could possibly, you know, just put them in front of the TV and forget about it. And with my four-year-old, that does work sometimes. Even then, after 20, 30 minutes, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he needs something. You know, it's not just I can put him there for two hours and be fine. Um, but my my daughter, who's only 20 months old, you know, she's very, very, very needy. And she's uh, very attached to me. Um, so just last week, I had, I actually forgot, I had a conference with the court And when I realized that I immediately, you know, put down my computer and my husband wasn't available, he was on a work call as well. And even though he works for a company, we were recently very worried about his job status because they had furloughed, I think, out of 600 employees that furloughed 590 people. And he was of the 10 that didn't get furloughed. So I was definitely like, you're not missing any calls because we're not going to lose your paycheck. Already my business had taken a hit because of everything. So he was already on a call. So I put one kid in front of the TV. I dialed into my conference. My daughter was sitting right next to me. She was not in the frame. And in the middle of the conference, she fell off the chair. And uh, I just looked at her. She looked at me. Luckily, she didn't cry. She was a little shocked. And I continued my conference. But that could have gone a very different way. And, you know, we were being recorded and everything. So I definitely do think um, there is an ethical portion to it. But at the end of the day, if you cannot do your job that you are being paid to do and you need childcare, then I think it's a no brainer. So you hit on like 30 different things that I want to delve into, but I'm also conscious that I'm like totally um, railroading this entire conversation because this is something you and I talk about all the time. Um, But one thing I want to just point out before I let Faiza jump in is you have a really strong argument for like the decision you've made. Um, I don't have that strong of an argument. I'm not doing God's work on this earth right now. I'm on maternity leave. My newborn is now eight weeks. Um, But I think the way and, you know, I think this is a sensitive topic and a lot of people will not agree. A lot of my friends won't agree. Um, but I think the way I've made peace with it is I'm still having my nanny come. Um, the way I've made peace with it is it's a conversation you have to have with whoever is your support system, whether that's a caregiver, whether that's a housekeeper, whether it's, you know, somebody who cooks for you, whatever it is, it's a conversation you have to have. And if both sides are comfortable, I look at it like I need the help desperately. Um, She needs the income and that's how it's going to go. And again, I don't, I don't know if that puts me on the right side of the ethical situation, but it's what's working right now. And I think something like we we often get caught up in these like social conversations. We often get caught up in absolutes, right? Like this is right. This is wrong. There's nothing in between. But I think this is such a crazy time for everybody that like, I don't mean to sound all hippie and shit, but mental health has to be a critical part of the conversation. And they're my kids and I love them. But if I had to take care of a totally regressed toddler and a colicky newborn, 
all of us would die. Straight up. Right. All of us, at <laughs> least one of us, probably well, all of us say. would be dead. That I don't have any kids. I don't have to worry about childcare working from home with I have two really annoying cats, but that's like the extent of the But that's um, what I'm saying, right? It's it's not an absolute it's not like you can only you can it's only not, require help if you have XYZ issues. Like right. everybody in the situation requires help and support. And it may be a first world problem, but it's still it's a problem. It's relative to your situation, like your struggle. Well, I think that's exactly the the issue, right? This is this is not working from home. This is working from home during a global pandemic and you don't have the resources that you would normally have available to you any other time. And so there are so many different facts. There is no roadmap. There is no right way to do this. You have to just do what's best for you and fuck everybody else. Just if this is working for you, I, like like I said, I don't have kids. I don't have kids, but I have like I have friends and relatives and coworkers that have children that are working from home and doing their you know do, doing what they can with what they have. I have a relative who's the head of a respiratory care department at a at a hospital in Brooklyn. She has she has three kids. She got back from maternity leave a month before this all started. And her biggest thing, her biggest challenge was that she was dropping her newborn off at her elderly mother's with her elderly grandmother who's 90 plus and she was still breastfeeding and she had her husband was like quit quit this is insane this is you have we have two kids at home you have a newborn and so she and she ended up deciding to stop breastfeeding because she was like I can't put my kid at risk so he stays at her her mother's and she stays at a hotel in New York and she does her job because she has a lot of people relying on her her unit is now the most important unit at the hospital and so I just feel there are no right answers. There are no right answers. It's really just, a, it's a uniquely uh, terrible for everybody. And you just have to, it's a case by case basis. And you can't let like, there's so much guilt around being a woman and then a working woman and then a mother and then a working mother on top of that, that I'm sure it compounds this whole situation, but it's just, it seems to me like everybody I talk to is just doing what they, the best that they can. And like you said, mental health is a priority. And if your nanny is comfortable coming and you are taking all the precautions that you can, and you're also providing her a, an income and you guys are, are making it work, then. I, right. And to be clear, I'm not doing God's work every day. I organized my makeup, makeup samples last week. So that's what I did. When the but it doesn't even, I, like, you know, if that's keeping right. you sane, if that's what you're doing with your time, um, right. that's and also, okay. like, you know, like um, Faiza said, you you take what precautions you can, right? Like, I live in New York City, so not only does my nanny not drive, but there's no parking in my neighborhood. So really, her only mode of transportation would be the grimy subway or Ubers every day, which aren't necessarily the cleanest either. Your nanny drives, right? So you're looking at things specific to your situation and and I'm in Albany. Not to obviously, it's everywhere, but it's not as bad. I'm literally in Queens County, which is literally killer Queens right now because we have the most cases in the entire world in this county. Um, So my point is, is that you are right. There's a lot of. you know, guilting going around the situation. But one of the things that people have started talking about now is the next epidemic is going to be mental health because of this pandemic, right? So even my nanny said to me, I love it when you drop off the kids because when I don't have something to do all day, I literally sit and watch the news and go crazy. So she prefers it. You know, she has her income. We have the help. I work for myself, right? So if I don't work, I don't make money. That is sort of my situation. But, you know, there's always going to be those people there that, you know, have a lot to say but you need to go by what your individual situation is and, and I, you know, try I think to do we good. also need to make peace with like what our personal limits are, right? So yeah. whether that's unplugging from conversations that stress you out, shout out to Jamana who literally on a group chat told us, stop talking about this because I'm going to unfriend all of you. Like it's overwhelming. The amount of information, it's right. overwhelming. I have friends who sanitize their delivery boxes then sanitize the package. Like, my husband's in real estate. Honestly, he washes his hands and takes off his clothes, and that's the extent of our precaution in the house. Like, I I don't have, and again, I'm I'm conscious that this is coming from a place of privilege, 
um, I genuinely don't have the mental capacity, the mental bandwidth to take all the precautions that I probably should. And I'm tired of drowning in guilt over it. So I think that's that's a big piece of this as well. Anyway, that was a big digression of me just kind of projecting my insecurities onto this podcast. <laughs> I want to go back to a couple really interesting points you brought up. And um, Faiza can jump in on this as well. You were talking about um, obviously your husband's working from home as well and um, – you know, a a big portion of his company got laid off. So obviously it was more difficult for him to be flexible, especially because you are your own boss. Um, And the fact that your daughter is more attached to you and, you know, a mom is a mom. And this is another conversation we have all the time that even the most amazing hands-on father is still going to do at best like 20% of the parenting that a mother does. How do you feel like this has either shifted or exacerbated that dynamic in your household. I know there was a New York Times article that talked about how women are now housing even more or shouldering even more of the domestic responsibilities um, during this pandemic, even though they're also working. Right. Um, so Mahek and I also something we talk about all the time. Uh, and uh, dads will let you do all the work if you if they will let you do it if you don't ask. Right. Like that's sort of what we've concluded. Um, so with that in the forefront, when we started working from home, I just, you know, I put it out there. I said, this is what I need. Um, these are and this is how I think we should make it work. Actually, he's the one that proposed it. He said, all right, the kids are going to be home for two weeks. How about you take, you know, from when they wake up to 1 or 2 p.m. and then I'll take 1 or 2 p.m. to 6 or 7 p.m. So that way we both have solid chunks of time during the day uninterrupted completely where we can focus. So he was the one that proposed it, but I've been working on him for a long time with this regard. Um, So it definitely did shift, I would say, in my favor uh, in this house. Um, But also that's because I, I also sometimes think dads don't see what moms do right so he's home he sees that i'm feeding them breakfast and making their lunch they my son is potty trained uh so when he goes to the bathroom even though he knows both of us are in the home when he's done doing whatever he needs to do he calls for me he doesn't call for his dad um just little things like that right so i think he started also just picking up on how much it was taking me away from my ability to do my job, right? And we are a double income household. Um, we're a double income household. Both of our incomes run this home. So I've told, I've made it very clear to him. I said, if you don't work, your boss still pays you. If I don't work, there's nobody to pay me. If I'm not generating income and billing, there is, there's no money, there's no money coming in. So, um, you know, so in that, in, in childcare regard, I do think definitely it's shifted where he's more involved, but he needs to be. I mean, it's very practical at this point. He needs to be. Um, but in terms of like cooking and stuff, that's still all me. But that's also because if I let him cook, we would literally just eat eggs all day. So that's by choice. <laughs> that's good. And I think, um, I think unfortunately you're probably in the minority there. I think yeah. the I think you're the exception, not the rule. I mean, Uh, everyone's situation, you are correct, everyone's situation is different, and I definitely do think the statistics point the other way, where women and you know, tend on uh, doing a lot more of the work. And still, it's definitely by no means 50-50, right? Uh, Eve is coming up, and is he, you know, doing any planning? Is he buying gifts for people? No, all of that falls on me, right? All that kind of stuff falls on me. But um, I would say that, you know, you have to have these conversations with your partners, right? Because it's not going to just fall into place like your husband or your wife. Because I I have seen it the other way around, too, where men are the primary caregivers. It's rare, but I've seen it. You know, they're not going to just wake up and all of a sudden know exactly what your needs are. It would be nice if they did, but they don't always. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think it's human nature to kind of let sleeping dogs lie, right? So. If you see that somebody's handling everything, very few people will kind of jump in and say, oh, let me help you out until you raise your hand and say, holy shit, this is really hard. I'm drowning. Um, You mentioned statistics. 
I want to hear about your experience now, not as a mother, but put back your lawyer hat on. Um, talk to us about what you're seeing. I know there's so many stories and still so many stats out there about the extreme jump in domestic abuse cases and divorce filings, especially in countries that have kind of come out on the other side of at least the first wave. Is that consistent with what you're seeing? Um, It's hard to tell with divorce yet because filings haven't um, opened up yet. We we aren't allowed to file new cases yet. So um, I, uh, we will, that, that's to be determined, but I wouldn't be surprised um, I have read articles on how a lot more people are realizing in this forced time together that perhaps this isn't the best situation for them, or a lot of people are realizing that their partners may be having affairs, right? Because it's really hard to hide that when you're around the other person all the time. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we do see that jump in divorce. With regards to domestic violence, absolutely. I think New York City, the number or New York State, the numbers are up by 30%. I'm definitely receiving a lot more calls. But the problem is that most domestic violence survivors don't always have an alternate uh, source of support. So they are not going to be taking any legal action at this time because courts might be hesitant to exclude abusers from the home in the midst of a pandemic, right? So now they have to balance this. So let's say this person is being abusive, but if we exclude him, is he going to go to a homeless shelter where he's more at risk? That's something the judges may be thinking. Um, These women may be thinking, okay, well, I can't leave. Where am I going to go? You know, I, I don't have a job. I don't have another place to go to. So while the numbers are definitely up, and it's not just domestic violence and divorce, child abuse is significantly up as well. Children are home. Uh, the mandated reporters that they saw very often, their social workers, their teachers, their doctors, they don't have contact with them right now. So those cases necessarily aren't being called in. So we're going to see a huge wave of new filings with regards to child abuse and neglect as well once courts reopen. But you know, people are home, people are stressed out, people don't have jobs, they're worried about money, which then leads to increased substance abuse, which then contributes to domestic violence. These aren't excuses, these are just all factors you have to look at together. So yes, absolutely, I think that the courts are not at all prepared for the wave of cases they're going to see as soon as they reopen. So really ignorant question for you, as somebody who does not practice this, um, My impression was the vast majority of domestic abuse, child abuse is reported once the victim is ready to leave. And often if it's reported prior to that point, it's because a third party has witnessed it, right? So a concerned family member, or like you said, a teacher, a social worker, somebody like that who sees um, a child who's clearly being abused calls it in. What do you think is contributing to the jump right now then when people are quarantined, a lot of the victims don't have the capacity to leave? Um, What do you think is contributing to them actually working up the courage to even call it? Well, many women, uh, you know, will call in and say they need help and even go as far as filing court cases before they actually see through it. So it takes, I think the statistic is it takes a woman seven times to leave before she actually leaves. But that doesn't mean that six times before she hasn't been to court. So just because she's speaking up about it doesn't mean that she's ultimately ready to leave. It just means that she's taking a step. She's exploring what her options are. She's you know, trying to see what happens if she takes this step. So it's it's a little different with child abuse and neglect and with domestic violence because As an adult, if you choose to stay in a situation that is violent, there is not much other people can do to help you unless you make that decision to come forward. And to give you an example, we used to live in an apartment a few years ago in Astoria where we regularly witnessed very severe domestic, not witnessed, we heard very severe severe domestic violence uh, from the people who lived above us. And when I mean bad, I mean we would hear smashing of things, throwing of things, what I thought was flinging of bodies, crying, screaming. It was really, really awful. And the first 
time I, I witnessed, I heard it, I called the police because I thought, you know, the woman needed help or somebody needed help. I wasn't sure if there were young children there. And the police came and the people didn't open the door and they were like, there's nothing that we can do unless the person who's being harmed comes forward. And this was something that went on for the entire time we lived there. It, it, went, it was very regular. And um, so that's that's the difference is that, you know, a social worker from a hospital could see that a woman is being abused and, you know, she could give her, uh, you know, resources, you know, names of places she could call, get counseling and things like that. But the police would never, ever pursue a case against an abuser based on what a social worker saw. However, for child abuse and neglect, it's very different. Children don't have a choice in that regard. So if somebody suspects abuse or maltreatment and they call in the registrar, uh, the state central register, and it gets investigated, you know, they will then go ahead and remove children from those situations. And or otherwise, you know, seek court intervention where orders can be put into place to protect those children. This must be an even more challenging time to even report those cases um, by a victim or a guardian across the spectrum, right, for domestic right. abuse or child abuse. Because like you said, um, a lot of these proceedings, a lot of your consultations now are being done virtually or on the phone. And when you're yeah. living in a New York City apartment with your abuser, where do you go to make that phone call? Where do you go to yeah. have this like uh, online Skype interview where you're right. detailing the abuse? So I guess that's why I was kind of just surprised by the spike in numbers because I would think just logistically it's so much harder for it right. to even kind of play out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as someone who grew up in a household that it, where we experienced domestic violence. I mean, my mom had a job and she had her family here. And it, when she filed for a divorce, finally, it wasn't the first time she had talked to a lawyer. It wasn't the first time she had told a court that she was experiencing violence. You know, she had called the police before, but it took her almost 30 years um, to finally do it. And so, um, I think it's going to be really, in, as someone who grew up in an environment like that, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the courts deal with it post-COVID. I think also I just spoke on a panel um, last week uh, where it was, it was about like careers and, you know, minority women in, in, in corporate. And we spoke to a sixth to, uh, I think they were in sixth to eighth grade uh, young girls in this leadership program and they're all inner city youths who come from you know diverse backgrounds and one of the questions that we got from the one of the young girls was if if you ha if your home isn't stable what like what advice would you give to so, uh, someone that that lives in a household that isn't you know safe and I really struggled with that one because I was like if I were if I were if this were happening when I was still in middle school and I was quarantined at home I don't know what I would have done I don't know how my mom would have handled it. Um, so I think it's just, it's really complicated. And it's yeah. I, like, I don't have any answers other than just like try to create a safe space for yourself. Uh, what I did when I was in school was just I joined every single extracurricular activity I could to stay out. And so not having that as a resource or an outlet would have been in really scary and detrimental. Um, so I think it's just, it, I hope that we, you know, learn lessons from this in terms of mental health, um, how we reach out to and how we protect children and how how we treat victims of domestic violence because I think there is this uh, stigma uh, around like well why didn't you leave the first time or when you had when the police showed up why didn't you talk to them and tell them or why didn't you pursue it harder you know why didn't you reach out to your family there's so much there that people don't recognize or realize can be incredibly triggering and um, there's a lot of social stigma. Uh, and cultural issues that you don't know you still forget it right so um I'm hoping and I think and this kind of goes into I think my next question for you for you I just hope there are a lot of lessons learned from this but I want to know from you on just like what do you how does this affect your views on like the the way you practice and then also how you how how is it affecting your personal life as well like what are the lessons you hope to take away from this time um, as cliche as this sounds, I think I'm going to work less. Um, I've always been work, 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 um, you know, maybe minimum 50 hours a week, usually more working after I put the kids to bed, working on weekends. Um, so I definitely, 
have realized that I could still be productive while enjoying other aspects of my life, you know, enjoying time with my kids, cooking, you know, having time to work out, not having to make time to work out, you know, just having the time every day is really nice. Uh, Having time to focus on my spiritual growth and just um, I was joking with a friend the other day that, you know, we sign up to all these listservs. How many of the emails do we read? Because we have no time to actually even sit there and read the emails, right? Focusing on continuing education. Um, so definitely this was a much needed break. That's that's the silver lining of this whole thing. Um, as for lessons learned, I think that one of the things, and I'm going to talk about it within, you know, my sort of professional niche is that the courts uh, have come to realize that, you know, perhaps there's a lot of things that can be done in a more streamlined way. I mean, generally litigation is very, and it's super archaic. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, the court system is at least a hundred years behind every other system in New York or in this country. Um, But just realizing that litigation is incredibly protracted. It's a very protracted process, even when, you know, it's supposed to be very quick and expeditious, for example, in child abuse cases, like there's actually, you know, time frames written within the legislation so that these cases don't end up being long and protracted, but they still are. Um, I think the courts are coming to realize that there are ways we can do things a little bit more expeditiously. As of right now, they originally they were doing all essential cases uh, electronically, but now they're moving towards all non-essential matters as well. I don't know when the courts will reopen, but we're continuing to do new filings and we're continuing to do cases virtually. So I think there's going to be a big shift in that in in this in this arena. But I'm sure, as was with every other arena, like with your job, Mehak, right? Like, isn't that so crazy? Can I make you share it, please? That's insane. Yeah. So um, I. Obviously, our two and a half listeners know I work (laughs) as a compliance attorney in uh, financial services, and I've been lucky enough since moving up to Albany to be able to work remotely. Um, Right before going on maternity leave, I found out that my company was no longer going to support work from home arrangements. And so I was basically told that after I came back from maternity, I would have a couple weeks and they were going to terminate um, at the end of June. And so I figured I would just kind of chill with my severance for a couple months and like figure life out in the fall. Um, and I think very heavily influenced by Corona and the new reality it's brought for corporate America. Um, they just announced last week that they're going to allow uh, work from home employees to continue because they've seen now that the old model of you know, FaceTime, sitting in your seat so your boss sees you at 8 p.m. working so hard even though you've got 10 Google browser tabs open, it's just not necessary anymore. And, like, we have to move away from this bullshit model of forcing people to sit in a chair, sit in an office. I mean, I will say I don't think work from home is for everybody, Um, but if you can – find the discipline, find the structure in yourself to make it work, it ultimately ultimately is a lot cheaper for companies, right? You don't have the overhead. Um, right. Your employees are much more efficient. Um, mm-hmm. You build a lot of employee morale. You keep them around longer um, yeah. because you give them kind of the flexibility and they don't feel like they're tied or need to justify every time their lunch break goes, you know, an hour and five minutes rather than 59 minutes on the dot. So yeah, I think to your point, um, every industry is kind of experiencing this realization that the way they've been doing things and have sworn that it's the only way it works is not actually the case. I mean, even um, Faisal, what you were talking with Manil last week about the medical field, I mean, telehealth, it's crazy. It's blown up. And I think it's going to be that way for a very long time because doctors are now realizing they don't need to see 30 patients in an hour and they can kind of do this um, remotely. And, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out over not just the next few months, but I think over the next like five to 10 years, I think this has really changed the shape and the landscape of society across the board. Absolutely. Every single industry, yeah, every is- single aspect 
this is long term. It's changing everything. I just got a text from a, a coworker of mine that her she can't see her dentist and her filling fell out. So her dentist is going to walk her through her filling her filling herself. So she has to go get a syringe and like yeah. So she's do, basically doing her own dental work. Um, I think I just joined. So now I moved from nonprofit and I'm in corporate now. I'm, I changed jobs last year. I'm in the beauty industry and we are, it is completely changing the landscape of the beauty industry, just like every industry, but we are now having to solve for things that we never thought we'd have to solve for. Um, I'm in our social impact and sustainability department. So we are now what I, and, and we furloughed a lot of our sales associates and all these retail workers who are now, um, are on the, basically the chopping block, uh, and our position while well, we're, you know, CSR, corporate social responsibility is seen as this like nice thing to do. And now we've been, uh, we've been busier than we've ever been before in the last month, month and a half. And now it's become a mandate for all of our brands to look into how they can, um, basically contribute to these causes and how we need to think much more strategic about our sustainability, our impact, just like on, you know, environmental sustainability, all of that. And I think it's just going to really change how we do business. Like Maggie, you were saying, our, we had a couple of VPs on our team that didn't really like the idea. They had no reason, but they were just like, didn't like the idea of working from home. And now you don't have an excuse. Right. Every, every You're just working. stuck in it until you kind yeah. of right. give your chance, give yourself a chance to see it works and arguably it works better. Better. It's just like this really old antiquated model of thinking. I don't have yeah. to force myself oh my into money. tight work clothes that don't fit. I'm going to be. Yeah. I feel like I'm keeping our brands afloat because of how much money, how much stuff I've been buying for like friends and family because I'm like, I get a discount. Might as well just like buy everything I can off of Joe Malone. I mean, I think one of the other really big ways this is, you know, going to change for a lot of people is I think this whole epidemic or sorry, pandemic um, is really highlighting how the marginalized in our communities and societies continue to be the most impacted, whether it's by way of health or employment, um, you know, things of those natures, uh, uh, things of the sort. So I think that it's really like yeah. people who have kids in public school and don't have the money for a bougie nanny or, yeah. you know, a bougie yeah. caregiver. It's right. And I think that hopefully it's um, going gonna, gonna to inspire a lot of people to do more to give back to the society and to community and to help uh, organizations that are there to assist those individuals. Yeah, because Trump is getting reelected in 2020 and he's not going to yeah, do yes. anything about it. So uh, to us. Um, Freya, I have a kind of happier question for you and a sad sure. question. Um, the happier question is, and it may be in line with what you just told Faiza, but um, how has this benefited your family? And don't tell me now we spend more time together. Give me, give me a deeper answer than that. And the sadder question is, um, what advice would you give to somebody who is suffering from domestic abuse right now, like any, I don't, I don't know if it's advice, but anything you can say in terms of what to do, how to kind of like handle this until they are higher being, until they're able um, yeah. either to work up the courage or. Um... Um, so what I tell people when I'm uh, speaking to them prior to them having taken any action at all is I'm like, you need to plan, make a plan. I don't care if you don't plan to leave for two years, make a plan. Um, try to gather or take photos or make photocopies of documents that may eventually help in litigation. Copy of the lease, phone records, tax returns, a bank statement that captures a bank account number. Um, Try to save a little bit of money, you know, a dollar here, ten dollars there. Just so when you're ready to leave, you have not just some financial support, but you have information. One of the biggest things in litigation and what makes it really hard for domestic violence victims is that because you are bringing the case, the burden of proof is on you. So if you're going to seek spousal support, you need to... um, 
show what his income is, right? Which is which may be difficult to do if he's not a W two wage earner, and in the immigrant communities, oftentimes you have individuals running cash businesses, it's very, very hard to prove what someone's income is, right? If you have children for child support, the same thing, you need to be able to prove income. So I've definitely coached and spoken to many women who are way, you know, speaking to me way before they they actually plan to take a step out that door. And that's really good advice because it probably also just gives them a little bit of mental clarity, right? Like this doesn't mean I have to leave tomorrow, but these small steps. Right. If and yeah. when I get to that point, at least mm-hmm. I'm not like escaping with no shoes on. Right, and I tell them. and I tell them. Documents. If you have someone you trust, you know, leave. If you can't take the physical out of the home because you're you're worried that your abuser is going to notice that they're gone, then at least take photocopies and have your passport, your social security number, the same for your children. Drop it off at a friend's house. You know, things of things like that. So little things that you can do that will eventually help when you leave. And it's never easy. It really never ever is. You know, oftentimes these women have already been alienated from any, they they may not even have a single close friend that they can go to, you know, or if they have evidence of the abuse, you know, um, pictures, audio recordings, I advise them to maybe create a cloud account if they're technologically savvy or an email address or send it just so it's not on their phone to delete it from their devices, things like that. Um, How has this helped my family? I don't know, man. Um, I, I, like I said, I know it sounds corny, but Irene just left so I can talk about this. I do think it's really improved my relationship with my husband. Um, we, we, we're we spending quality time together. It gets really easy to just get caught up in working nine to six, coming home, putting the kids to bed, exhausted, go to bed, weekends, go to go to mom's, kids need this, grocery shopping. Like none of that is there. There's literally nothing to do. So we spend so much time together and it's been really nice. It really has. I mean, I lived a very, very busy life before. I didn't have time to do anything. And now I'm like polishing my floors. I'm like cooking all this food. I'm working out. It just it feels really foreign to me. Um, but it, but, it, you know, it's it's also really great. And and I feel very blessed. And I think this has been a very humbling experience. Um, for my family and you know we have our health and we have a roof and we have food and we have savings and I just I just realize how fortunate we really are yeah absolutely absolutely yeah someone who's paying their therapist a shit ton of money even during this time uh one of the things that she had told me which was really good advice and I think I have trouble and I don't know if it's being raised by an immigrant mom but you just like have to constantly keep moving. There's this like, you have to be productive. You have to be doing something all the time or else you'll die. Um, it's just, there's this, this is your like mandated stillness, like take the time to be still and, you know, and, and marinate and like feel your feelings and work at all those kinks because you don't have anywhere to go. So you might as well. I think that's really important. I think your advice to, uh, to people who are experiencing domestic violence is incredibly valuable. Um, I really wish that someone had told my mom that because she is now paying my dad alimony because he never had any records for <laughs> uh, the income that he was making. Um, so uh, I really appreciate that. I think that's really I think it's really sound, important. really tangible, um, effective advice that can be implemented you know, easily. Um, and I, I think the mandated stillness that you both touched upon, I think that's a big part of the conversation around this quarantine too, right? Especially in the realm of parenting, but also not parenting as well. Like you don't have to come out if, and when we come out on the other side of this, it doesn't have to be with a completely renovated home or like this Pulitzer Prize winning memoir or, you know, a screenplay that's going to go on to win an Oscar. Like your kid doesn't have to come out of this reading chapter books. You don't have to come out of this with like a brand new, it's okay to come out of this still looking ratchet with, you know, three month old nails and really bad hair and a dirty house. And it's okay. I think like yeah. you have to whatever works for you. And maybe that go, go, go works for you and keeps you sane. But maybe that letting go of all expectations and all guilt, maybe that's what works for you. And wherever right. you fall on the spectrum, fall there. Live your truth. 
it's okay. Again, projecting my insecurities. Right. And I think at this point it is, it is about survival, right? Like everyone or a lot, you know, people are in survival mode at this point and it's survival of your physical health and it's survival of your mental health. Um, and you need to do what you need to do to get there. Of your family unit, survival of your relationships, you know, for somebody who's horrifically bad about keeping in touch with people that I don't see on a regular basis, this has been a challenge, you know, making the time to reach out, knowing that I'm not going to see you for a very long time, knowing that I can't see you for a very long time. Um, Every sentence I'm saying on this podcast, when I hear myself say it out loud, I'm cognizant that I sound like such a pretentious first world brat, but you're not we work with what we have we were and we're all fortunate and we're all blessed that we have jobs and we have all of those things and I think that we should take right and we take and what you know instead of feeling bad about having those things you take it and you use it as a tool to try to get out there and either contribute to those less fortunate with your mind or your time or your money um you know these are God's gifts and we should appreciate them and we should use them to help our communities yeah, I think the thing is, it's not that having privilege in it is in itself a bad thing. It's about acknowledging it and about being critical about, yeah, and critical on how, how it affects you and how, how it disadvantages others, and then what are you going to do about it? Um, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but I think, um, you know, this quarantine thing has really changed the way, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to have reverberating effects on society and um, our jobs and the way we interact with other people. Um, and so I think it just, uh, this I think has been a sobering reminder of, um, what it means to appreciate the things that you do have and that there is no right way to do this or handle it. And that you just got to try to do the best that you can while this is happening. So Freya, we typically like to end our episodes with, since we often delve into like really emo morbid things, we like to end with one kind of positive uplifting takeaway. So, um, you know, just, just a thought, whatever you have, it could be, you know, something you've already said, um, something different, like something good that's come out of this for you. I know your skin is looking on point, so it could be the fact that you've got all this time for face masking now. I know. Um, I can go while you're thinking about it. Yeah, go Um, ahead. As a postpartum mom, um, I have never, as a postpartum mom in this epidemic or pandemic, whatever, I don't even know the difference between the two. um, I have never before valued my relationships so much. I mean, like, without the support of my friends and fellow moms and family, I would have drowned. So I'm, I'm thankful for this time um, that helped me realize that you, you are nothing without the circle of those who uplift and support you. Um, I think... Uh, for me, it's been, I think, a lot of who I am and, you know, what I do. And, and for all of us, it's really been tested with everything that's been going on. And I find myself often reflecting back to things my dad used to say to us when we were little, things he taught us. And I just find myself turning into my dad a little bit. And it's both scary and it's also an amazing feeling because I love him and I respect him so much. Um, but I th- And my parents are really far away. They're in Pakistan. They've been there since January. So I really miss them and they're kind of stuck there. So I think it goes back to, again, appreciation. Like, I don't know when I'm going to see them again. And it's a really, it's a crappy feeling. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm fortunate that my parents are safe. They're healthy. They have access to medical care. I don't know if this was the positive, uplifting thing you were looking for. This is just making me really sad. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Faiza, you end this. I'm, I'm happy because it made me love and miss my parents more than I already did. <laughs> I, the, the positive spin on that is just like, 
you recognize how important they are in your life and you can appreciate them that much more and there's that much more gratitude that you have for them. Um, I'm trying to remember what I said in the last podcast because I think Manaya and I did this as well um, and I think I said the same thing about relationships. I think one of the things that I'm grateful for is the time to um, really take stock of what's important and what doesn't serve me anymore and um, create boundaries around those things like this doesn't this the way I used to cope with things the way I used to react to things uh, maybe some friendships or relationships that I had that don't serve me anymore like now is the time to uh, reflect on that and and figure out how to move forward from it Um, and 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 be bold about it too like my mom wanted to come over for a thought yesterday and it was Mother's Day and I was like okay um, you know, she's been quarantining, whatever, but then she texted saying that she'd been to her sister's the night before and her sister had just recovered from having coronavirus herself. And I had to call, I'd made a really tough decision and called her and said, I love you so much. Um, and, but I feel really uncomfortable of having you over because you went to your sister's yesterday. And so I want you to quarantine for the next two weeks and I'll host something for, cause she just got married. So I was like, I'll host something for you and my new dad <laughs> post Eid. And she was okay with that. And I, it, but I had so much anxiety around having that conversation with her. But like once I was able to, I felt so much better. And it's about just like, this is like these things are okay and having these feelings are okay and and whatever doesn't serve you be able to like build the confidence and courage to to get rid of it Faisa, can i tell you i'm so glad that you said that because my parents are going to come back from pakistan probably in june and i've been so nervous to tell them that i'm putting them up in an airbnb for 14 days before they're allowed to see me my kids or my brother and his kids and i've literally was like oh my god i'm gonna get disowned my parents are gonna kill me um but i told my mom i was like can you just prime dad and let him know that i found an airbnb right by my apartment i will go i will clean it i will stock it up i'll even put like my pots and pans there so you don't feel like you're cooking in a stranger's pots and pans but it was a very difficult thing to work up the courage to tell my parents because i didn't think that they would understand why I was doing that. Yeah, I like literally as when uh, when I finally was able to get in touch with her, I launched into like all the, all these studies that are coming out of China now about how you're actually much more you're you're still contagious way after you've recovered, and they're finding it in people's eyes, they're finding it in people's fecal matter. You don't know, um, and I and it, it's really coming from a place of care and and like and and protection like I was like I want you to be safe I want you to protect yourself this isn't about you know being scared this is about making sure that you especially since you're my only parent like I want you to be healthy and safe and taking care of yourself because I love you so much and because I love you so much I don't want you to come over and that's okay I love you but I can't see you that should be the new hallmark card I love you but I can't see you yeah or touch you or hold you I love you, and that's why I can't see you, because I don't want you to die. So Um, this hit on a lot of things we, I didn't think we were going to. Um, I really thought this was going to be about working from home with kids. So thanks, Ria. um, For your Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, your perspective, I think, especially with the work that you do, is really, really, like Faiza said, valuable and unique in this time, especially. Um... Thanks for making the time to join us. I'm happy to chat with you ladies any day. And the takeaway is if you have kids, you really can't work from home. So just stop trying. That's the takeaway. Um, Freya, I know you don't really use social anymore, but if you want to plug your maybe law firm website. Uh, Sure. I hope none of you needs a divorce or is, a victim of violence, but if God forbid you find yourself in those circumstances um, and you need any legal help, check me out at AmeenLegalFirm.com. Awesome. Or if you know anybody, give them that information. Yeah. Oh my God, the amount of referrals I've sent to Freya over the years, (laughs) it's insane. Unfortunately. I'm uh, I'm awesome, I promise. And most people don't suspect it because they see it. No, you really are. 
you really are such a prolific attorney. Marshall. No, I think if anything, this has proved how, how like capable and competent you are. No, but I love so. it though. I go to court and this they see like, like an, this hijabi, this little brown hijabi, no. and they're like, go away, tis tis. And I'm like, hold on. I think so. we just gave you an hour long ad. I know. Thank you. Please let me know how much I owe you. Yeah. Advertising you. in the time of Corona. I will Venmo you. Podcast. Um, right, my ladies. social, it's, uh, God, what are my socials? Um, Instagram at Mahek Jamil, Twitter at Nisi, although all I do is like and retweet Mehdi Hassan tweets lately because he is <laughs> the only pundit I want to listen to these days. Oh, I am on uh, Twitter. Oh, okay. Go ahead. What's at your Twitter? Furby429, I think. At Furby429. Okay. I made that like um, my. My Instagram is the cold shoulder cat. And then my Twitter is cold shoulder is at cold shoulder cat. But I deleted Twitter on um, off my phone about a week into quarantine, which is probably the best thing that I could have done for my mental health. But I do plan on getting back on it after this. So all I do is I think retweet um, comedians. So you'll get a good mix. If you follow my heck and you follow me, you'll get a good mix of like politics and comedy. <laughs> of thoughts that are in no way our own. <laughs> Zero yeah, original exactly. thoughts. Um, thanks, you, right, guys. thanks you guys. We'll Bye. catch you next time. Thank you, Olivia, and no we'll problem. talk soon. Yes, we will. All right. Bye-bye.